All right, so you've uh, observed it's kind of slow coming in that um, summer's over, right? I, I know you're sitting down. I can bust it loose on you. Summer's over. Now, it is slow coming. It's pretty nice. I mean, this, we got, they're calling for 80 tomorrow, which seems like wonderful. But you know it's coming. The snow, that cold day's coming. You will scrape frost one day soon. So you know it, like the season. So we get it that way. We get it sometimes relationally. We understand it in the world we live in. But do we see it according to Scripture? The Bible says there's seasons, epochs, dispensations, time breaks, if you would, that we see throughout Scripture. And the Bible speaks of one called the last days. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 2. We're going we're gonna to cover a lot. I, I have this many little tabs and colored little cool notes, so uh, buckle up. We've got a lot to cover. In Acts chapter 2, we have this beautiful message. It happened on what's called the day of Pentecost. And what happened was as, as the church, his people, God's people loving him are looking for, for, for how to live because he's ascended into heaven. He's declared the truth. He's empowered them to be his spokesman. And so, but he told them to wait until you, you know that power, until you receive from the Father. And then Peter declares on that day this message. Now, what was happening is the Holy Spirit stirred within the people there gathered in the upper room to, to go into the streets of Jerusalem, if you would, and declare the wonderful works of God. And they did that in various dialects, various tongues, if you would. And the people that were hearing, the Medes and the Persians and Parthians and all these people, they hear this in their own dialect, and they're going, wow, what's going on here? This is amazing. Now we pick up in verse 14, Acts chapter 2. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. So what was happening is this is taking place. They're hearing different dialects, not their own, but some are hearing their own. And they're like, these guys have been sipping the sauce already, man. They, they got a little deep on their communion thing, and they're already catching a buzz. And, and Peter says, seriously, what are you thinking? They're not, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk. This is something that God is doing. Now, this is really important, I believe, because this is what he'll tell you. He'll, he'll take in this message, and he'll place a prophecy out of the Old Testament and make it a contemporary fulfillment. He literally says in verse 16, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass, notice this, in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Young, your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord 
shall be saved. So this dispensation, this time frame, the last days, we're told right here that it, if you would, to give a kind of a frame, it, it, it ushered in at this moment, at this time, because he's saying this is what was said in Joel. This is the last days. A time when God, in the person of the Holy Spirit, will indwell his people, speaking to them and through them, that's happening now. That happened then, and it continues to happen, happen now. The latter part of this prophecy, this message that Peter shares, has not been fulfilled in its entirety. Speaking of the, wonders, the, the, the blood and the fire and the sun be turned to darkness. And so we see he's introducing, this is the last days, this is how it has started. It, it, verse 21 is an ongoing fulfillment. Verses 19 and 20 have yet to be fulfilled. What's verse 21? Verse 21, he's just saying, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Salvation is made known to humanity, to the Jews and to the Gentiles. Prior, people perceived and thought it was up to you to do at least 10 commandments. It was somehow performed, which was never the goal of the, the commandments. The law was given so that you knew you couldn't do it. It was a schoolmaster, according to Galatians 3, to lead you to the, the Messiah, to Christ. And so how do you get saved? If you're hearing just this first portion and you're realizing already, we're in the last days, you must be saved. You must be born again, the Bible says. You can't just go to church and hear a message and just kind of continue on with life. Right now, it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What does that mean? Well, it means whoever puts their trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Whoever puts their trust in him that they may have eternal life. There's no other means. There's no manner. There's no method by which you can get it. It's the only way, which is beautiful because that's the, that's the message of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Put your faith in me. And it, it, in part, it, believes this. It, I mean, it involves this. As an individual you agree with God in regards to your wrongdoings. Your wrongdoings. The Bible calls it sin. But your wrongdoings, you agree, God, I, I know I have issues. I know I've done wrong. So you have to have that ownership of sin, but you also then have to have this acknowledgement of forgiveness. And that's whereby you agree with God concerning sin, and you believe God for the forgiveness of sin, that it only comes through Jesus. So that's where we say, okay, God, I know I need the forgiveness. I put my faith in you, and I don't know how to do it. You can honestly say that. But I believe that you died for my sins, that you are the only way by which I can have true relationship with the living God. So putting your trust. And then the result of doing that is actually an element of repentance. You don't stop doing what you used to do so you can have this relationship, but rather because being born again, the product of that relationship is you will start living differently. Because obviously, you have new life. You're curious, how do I live this new life? It's not just citing words and going through some type of prayer. It's the relationship of new life. You then choose, I, I want this new life. Does it mean you do it perfectly? Well, of course not. You're learning how to let go of this and embrace this new life because you've been forgiven of your sins because you put your faith in Jesus Christ. That message is a message that resonates throughout the, today and, and I encourage you, if you are not saved, then I've just walked you through the very process, the very humble reality of coming into a relationship with Jesus. Now, we know, I've already said it, you've seen it, we are in the last days. According to the Bible, 
what are some of the characteristics of the last days? Turn with me, if you would. We'll go to, to the left there. Matthew 24. Matthew 24. And we'll just touch on a couple here, but we'll begin in verse 37. Jesus addressing what the last days would look like. And he uses a biblical comparison. He says in verse 37... But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Continuing in verse 38. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. The people had received plenty of warning and instruction, but they continued on like no big deal. Here's Noah. He's kind of busy, right? For like a hundred years, he's busy doing something. He's building a boat. And they're like, what's a boat for? He's like, well, you're going to find out. And for a hundred years, basically, he's issuing this proclamation, this warning, telling them, you need to get right with God. And they're like, we don't either. You're a nutcase. You're a weirdo. You're just sitting around, you know, what, what's your deal? You I mean, they mocked him. They ignored him. He was patient. The Bible says that Noah is described as a preacher of righteousness. He proclaimed it by the way he was living and by the words he was saying. And they said, I don't, we don't care. They, they had no interest. They'd received plenty of warning. And like today, I'm sure the verbiage was similar. We've heard this for so long. We are tired of hearing about it. I'm so tired of you going off continually about this whole judgment is coming thing. We hear it. That's the last days. But that's not unique to any, I mean, that's been going on since the days of Noah, quite honestly. But you're going to see an increase in it and an acceptance of it. Concerning the last days, what else does the Bible tell us about the days of Noah? And I wanted to do it this way. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 6. I wanted to walk through the word together because there has been some confusion. How's been some concern? When are the last days? And I believe the majority of people that attend here would have said before I started this message, oh yeah, we're in the last days. Okay, cool. But how do you know that? Well, because I've always been going to Calvary. They always, everywhere I went, they've taught that. That's not enough. That won't carry you through. What's going to carry you through? The word of God. We need to know from the word of God what time frame is and what God has to say. So Genesis, let's go all the way to the left and settle in in chapter 6. We're going to be there briefly, so uh, hang on. Genesis chapter 6, this is the days of Noah, specifically verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the heart or the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I believe that describes the day and age you and I live in. It's just like everything is just continuing to get more and more evil and what was considered unacceptable evil not long ago is now not even discussed. It's commonplace. You could just hit rewind on American history and just go back 40 years. You could probably go 25. Well, let's say 40, 45, 50 years. You know, some of you haven't been around that long, but talk to your older person next to you in the row. But you, you know what I'm saying? You could go back that far. The things that were held as like offensive and horrible 40 years ago are commonplace now. 
Matter of fact, you're considered an extremist or a radical or a fundamental freak if you embrace anything that was talked about. Right? You know what I'm saying? It's like, it, it's just, it, it ought not be because it's continually more and more evil. You didn't, this, nobody went sitting here with the awe look on their face. You knew that when you walked in. But you see, this is the correlation, the connection. It was, it was continually, the, every intent and the thoughts of the heart were evil continually. That's what happened in the days of Noah. Look in verse 11. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all the flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Nobody was immune to this. Everybody was a part of this. It just permeated culture. The culture has permeated the church. Some of the things I'm saying today, this is so fascinating to me. After service, uh, first service, I, I talked with a few people. I've taught on some of these things before. And the most frequent thing I hear is, thank you for talking about this. Thank you for addressing these issues. Thank you for going through the word with us. That should not stand out. Many from the pulpits will not teach the word of God. They will not present the complete, or, or what we could call the whole counsel of scripture. They cherry pick and pick things that are pleasing to ears. Is it any wonder it produces a, a, a gathering of people that don't want to be uncomfortable, don't want to talk about this awkward stuff? Because it creeps in and it's saturated our society. It's crept into the church. The earth was corrupt before God and filled with violence. Violence is just becoming accepted. We are living in what I call 2020.3. Because for three years now, we've seen an increase in violence in many of our cities. We've seen things that are tolerated, promoted, and, and even praised which is not that long ago, you'd go, to, you'd go to jail for a long time for. But now it's violent. Violence is okay. It, it, and we're numb to it. Because most of us are like, yeah, I know. But what do we do? Well, I'll get to that at the end. I do have a, a, a goal to get there, of course. Jesus said the last days would be like the days of Noah. Continual evil, increasing wickedness, violence filled the earth. The people would be totally depraved. And they would celebrate their depravity. They would have no concern about judgment, no concern about God, no, no concern if there's a creator. People will do what's right in their own eyes, like the time of the judges. That, I just described your, the place you live. And we're, in the red, and we're in the red zone. You know what I mean? It's a lot different here than the blue zone, so to speak. And you figure that out. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. It's a lot different. And yet, it, it, it's really not much. What else does the Bible have to say about the last days? We're looking at what the Bible says. Let's, let's jump from here in the Old Testament. What Jesus referenced is the days of Noah. Let's go over to the New Testament. Let's go specifically to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'll offer very little comment on this because it stands alone. But we're told in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 1, know this, that when? In the last days... Perilous times will come. Perilous speaks of times of stress. Distressing times will be upon us, which we know as we read through this list, 
why there's distress in stressing times. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away, and from such people don't be hanging out with, don't be, don't be living there. So here's what we just, I just described, the Bible, I read, the Bible describes contemporary culture globally. It's not the evil Americans, it's present here, but it's across the planet. It's everywhere. There's this mindset, you know, it, when you become headstrong, when you become unforgiving and unloving, you have no problem canceling people. Somebody upsets you, you cancel them. Somebody doesn't, you don't get what you want, you cancel them because you're unloving and unforgiving. And do you see this? It's always been there, agreed? This is a result of the rebellion in the Garden of Eden. It's always been present, but it's increasing in frequency and intensity, much like earthquakes and famines that the Bible speaks about in the last times. So here we have this happening. So we're in the last days. And here's what I would say. Watch and be ready. That really was Jesus' words. Just, just watch. Be ready. Watch what? Well, let's give me a, I'll give you a couple things. Definitely keep an eye on Israel metaphorically, by way of imagery, if you want to know the pulse of the planet, you put your finger on this little piece of dirt called Israel. Because that's where it all, that's the, that's the heartbeat of the planet. And what I mean is, you know, there's some key prophecies concerning Israel, and, and that's what we want to watch. We want to see. And I'm going to get into this. I, ha- I don't have time to dig in. And as I went through first service, I realized, man, I'm just jumping through. I'm going to cover this on Wednesday night. I'm going to get into more detail. So uh, that's a trailer, a little bait for Wednesday night. Nonetheless, it's, we're going to get into some stuff. There's some key prophecies concerning Israel that have been fulfilled and some that have not. The Bible tells you and me, and this is your homework part. You'll have to look up what I'm talking about. Israel will be scattered. That happened, correct? The dysphoria, the dispersion. We know that in the book of James, he's writing to those who, the Jews that are scattered abroad in the first century. And up till roughly the 1940s, they were scattered abroad. And so it's really never happened in history that a people group has been displaced from their geograph- geographic location and scattered abroad. It's one thing to move them to another group, another place, but they're scattered abroad. The Bible said that would happen. The Bible said that Israel will be regathered, and that was done. In 1948, Israel was recognized as a nation. They, were, they started regathering without the internet, without memos. They just started miraculously ending up in around Ben-Gurion, Tel Aviv, and into Jerusalem in the 1940s, becoming recognized by the United Nations, well, recognized by the nations of the world, in 1948, they were, they were given their nationhood, if you would. You're familiar with that. 19, now, that's really important. That's a, a super prophecy, so to speak. You know, like some foods are like, isn't avocado a superfood? Pick a better one than that, seriously. But nonetheless, 
This is super prophecy. This is one that's like, this is, because you have these prophecies, individuals that are sitting here, and they're, 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 com- they're coming together, if you would, one by one, fulfilling the prophetic picture. And this is a big one. Because when that nation, Israel, miraculously was reassembled in 1948, that kind of set the picture in motion, if you would. It was a, it's a confluence of these, these prophecies coming together. We also know there's a prophecy that said Israel will regain Jerusalem. When they regathered, they didn't have Jerusalem. And ironically, in 1967, this was fulfilled. It was a result of the Six-Day War. There's these arrogant Arab countries that had a goal. It's the same goal they have now. Their goal hasn't changed. Their goal is to drive Israel to the sea. Annihilate is exactly what they want to do. They're not just like having to relocate them in a boat. They want them all dead. That is their goal, to have them all dead. I don't think I've said it yet here, so I'm going to interject a little thought are you are we serious whether it's the camp david accord or i mean abraham or i you know all these little agreements let me just track with you nothing's changed israel's here and their enemies are here their enemies say we want them all dead that's our goal okay could we make a deal then that's what other people say china's gonna try it let's make a deal let me give you straight we want these ones dead. These ones will give up a little dirt. These ones will say, good, that's closer to our goal of more people dead. I'm not exaggerating. I'm just presenting. This is the fact. How do you negotiate? How do you work an agreement with this when the agreement says, okay, yeah, that's cool. We'll do that because it accomplishes our other goal of killing them all. Anybody who's thinking there's going to be a peace agreement is, is really not being honest with themselves because they're not recognizing what it takes for rational negotiations to, to come to a, uh, an agreement. You can't have one person, one group saying, we're going to kill them all and we'll agree to whatever you say just so we can get close enough to kill them all. You, you, okay, just, what if your neighbor did that? You're like, you know what, we're way deep in Waihee County, sheriff can't get here fast enough, my neighbor says he gets a chance he's going to shoot me, well, I'm going to see if we can find an agreement somehow. Okay, yeah, I'll agree to that because that's going to give me a chance to shoot you later. You know what, stupid, I'm done with you. That's what you do. Now, rant over. So, it's not really over. (laughs) So, Israel will be isolated from other nations as another prophet another prophecy and that actually has happened we have public statements about our participation with an ally but i've already pointed out we fund hamas through these other endeavors and, and we're support yeah I, I, I wanted to go on ukraine but I, I just you can figure that one out your own on your own it's a proxy war with against russia so here we're kind of doing this we're not really there we look good publicly and it's presented through the media but there's some serious question about what an ally would do. They really are kind of on their own. And historically, you know this. Like, there was a point not that many years ago, oh gosh, I want to say in this, uh, might have been the 60s or 70s, that they were actually somewhat allied, allied with Iran. 
And yet, then that all come apart. So they end up keeping, ended up by themselves. They're isolated from other nations. And it's going to get worse. And then there'll be a time of peace and prosperity. And then there's one more prophecy that's really important. Israel will be attacked by nations to her north. It's the Gog-Magog invasion that the Bible speaks of. That has not yet happened. That's why we watch Israel. We want to watch. We want to see how these things are unfolding. Now, let me say this. One of the problems with prophecy is too often we speak definitively and conclusively about contemporary matters and we plug them into prophetic fulfillment and, and we spoke too, too much, too quick. That's why I say you just watch and see, be ready. Be careful not to be definitive and conclusive. Oh, that happened there, that means this. This is a fulfillment of this. And you, you probably heard, many of them turned out to be very false prophecies historically from 2000 and on, no, long before that. Same time, be careful not to be too definitive, but also don't be delirious. What I mean is don't just stick your head in the sand and it doesn't matter to me, I don't live in Israel. It matters to you. It matters to the rest of us. It matters to this world. So look, listen, be ready. Let's wrap this all up with 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is go through this briefly, and then we're going to look at five points of application today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. As labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in the darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, do not, or therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith, hope, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Verse 9, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. This church in Thessalonica, it would appear that, according to the book of Acts, Paul was probably only there about four weeks. And in those four weeks, he thoroughly taught that he could write confidently now the eschatology, the end-time scenario. He's saying, listen, you guys know it. Now, you and I, we, have, we know it too. We have it. We want to know it. Okay, We have it to go to. We just need to make sure that we make that a priority in our life, to know the word of God, to seek understanding according to Proverbs, to get wisdom, to get knowledge, to know these things. He said, because you know that, you won't be disturbed in these last days. You'll be shocked, so to speak, in some sense, but you're, you're not going to be as consumed by it. We see from this text, you know, that, that we're, we're not to... to be cons- we're, 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 to, we're to be aware, but to, we're to comfort one another, build one another up, for God did not appoint us to wrath. That's why it's one of the proof texts and strongly supported the pre-tribulation rapture. Removal of the church prior to the great tribulation period. 
because God did not appoint us to wrath. And we know that tribulation period, according to Revelation chapter 6, is actually the wrath of the Lamb being poured out. So let me put it this way. I believe, strongly believe, in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Strongly believe in the rapture of the church prior to the beginning of the tribulation period. And this is one of the passages that opens our eyes to that. But he's saying, listen, you, you guys are you're in this world, but you're not darkened. You're light in this world. Live as light in the world. So all these things we're looking at and these things prophetically within Scripture, they merge, they converge together at one place and, and, and at one point in time. The place is Jerusalem. Jesus will return in the clouds for his bride, the church. And after a time, he will return with his bride to judge the earth. Stepping down in, in Jerusalem. So, that concludes our service. Have a nice day. We're Western civilization way of thinking, and we don't, it's just don't complain about it. Just have it who you are. Don't, don't worry about it. But get this. What do we do? That's what we're thinking. What do we do? This, this stuff is like, what do we do? How do we deal with this? Let me give you a few things, and I'll go through them briefly, but you can, I, I can get you the notes, or you can just jot them down as we go. First thing I would say, be ready. Be ready. Jesus, speaking of the days of Noah, saying what they're like, and everyone did whatever they wanted. But at the, towards the end of that message in Matthew 24, in verse 44, he said, Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect, at the imminent return. So it's just be ready. Be ready. And that means don't be so attached to the things of this life that you don't want to look up. No, I just started this relationship. I'm not looking up. No, it's opening day of elk season. I will not look up. Whatever it is, don't be caught by that. It's, those things are fine. But don't let them keep you from looking up. Be ready. The second thing I would say comes out of 2 Peter chapter 3. Be watchful. It says in verse 17 of 2 Peter 3, you therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. Caught up in the ways of this world, we somehow let our guard down, we give ourselves a pass, we maybe lighten up our personal spiritual disciplines, whatever it may be. He says, because you know what's coming, don't back off now. I really think that one of the things that we need to do as a culture, and I speak of the church culture, we need to raise our personal standards. We need to raise the bar, so to speak, of our spiritual disciplines. We need to, in a sense, expect more from myself, from ourselves, and that's not works mentality. We need to choose to follow Jesus and to know Jesus more. I think that's just a need. I know that. I can speak that very personally of myself. I just know that. Because I know what's coming. And I know it would be foolish to not prepare for something that's coming. I know it's coming. So I want to be ready. I want to be watchful. And I want to be number three, I'd say, is prayerful. Be prayerful. In, in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, we're told to be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, 
Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Be prayerful. Be in communion, in conversation, in a humble, intimate engagement with Jesus, with the living God. So we can, as things well up and, and wonder comes in and worry comes upon you, it says be anxious for nothing. See, here's an interesting thing. I, it's a, I believe it's Proverbs 12, 25 that reads, anxiety in the heart of a man weighs him down. Uh, one translation says, anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression. It's not speaking clinical, it's just speaking this weight. Well, anxiety, how do you be, not be anxious? Here's something to realize. It's one thing to have a deep concern. You should have a deep concern for your family members, for your friends, for the difficulties people are facing, for what's happening globally. I have a deep concern, but I also want to make sure that deep concern doesn't become a consuming worry where it's, I just can't stop thinking about it, and it just kind of drags you down. Well, how do you keep the two, one from coming, becoming the other? It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Literally, pour your heart out to God. Find a way, find a place, find a means by which you are not distracted, but you're able to just pour it out to God. Believing the word of God, believing the truth of God, embracing the promises of God. Being in communication, that's what prayer is. Be in communication, be prayerful. See, we're told in the Bible what's going to happen. We've already looked at some of these things. We know, we, we've, we see them in our world. Prophecy, speaking in advance, if you would, prophecy was not given to scare us, but to prepare us. And so, if you're scared, you're not prepared. And if you're prepared, you will not be scared. You will be concerned. That, that makes sense. Does that, does that help? Prophecy. Jesus said, I have told you these things in advance so that when they come to pass, you may believe. They're, they're, they're kind of a verification that he, this is how it's going to go down. This is what's going to happen. Moving on to our next point. We have be ready, be watchful, be prayerful, be purposeful. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Set apart the Lord God in your heart. Literally, don't, don't let everything just merge together that your relationship with Jesus is kind of like all the recreation and other things and responsibilities of vocation and all the things you have. Don't let it just all merge together. Set it apart as distinct. Sanctify it differently. And always be ready to give a declaration, a defense for the hope that is in you. Be able to speak why you have hope. Do it with meekness, which speaks of strength under control, would be humility. And fear, fear being the awareness or the awe factor. I want to be able to share the gospel with somebody because I believe they need the Jesus that I know. And I think it's very important for them. And I want to be in awe of it. I want to be in awe even that he would use me or you or any one of us as his agents. The last point in, a, in a what to do in regards to the days we live in would be be faithful. Jesus basically said, will I find anyone faithful? In Luke chapter 18, a parallel to what we've seen in Matthew 24 to some degree, in verse 8 he says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? 
Because in reality, that's a very probing question. It wasn't because of his uncertainty or his lack of confidence. It wasn't because I don't know if I'm going to find faith on the earth. That's not why he said it. He said it as a probing declaration, an assessment, one that would cause us to say, wait a minute, will I be faithful? Will Will I stay the course? You have been around very long. You've seen some people depart from the course. Will I be faithful? Aging is automatic. Maturity is a choice. Imparting and stepping and walking by faith is once again a choice. It's, it's implanted within us. A measure of faith is given to every, every believer. That faith to be imparted and act upon comes through the knowledge of the word and the awareness of his presence. To where he would walk us through the word and teach us individually, uniquely, and perfectly what it means to walk by faith. Will he find faith? And so, you see why? I think it's so beautiful how Jesus had presented that. So we cause us to think, well, yeah, 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 of course I'm faithful. That's not why he said it. He said it to say, will you? And then you would think, and go, hmm, I don't know. I knew that guy a few years ago. Great friend. Prayed together. We studied together. We sang together. We worshiped together. He's not walking by faith anymore. You're not doing that to critique that person. You're doing that to go, man, God, let me not walk that way. Guard my heart. Keep me close. I put my confidence in you. We're going to have the worship team come up. We're going to have one last passage to look at. But I will say this to every Christian. And I say this confidently because it's scripture. Inside your very soul, the very person that you are, the seat of your emotion and your will and your reasoning, the very core of who you are as a born-again Christian, You long for this one thing. You desire this. That in that day you will hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And because of that, we go, okay, Lord, keep me close. Teach me your word. Teach me your ways. Let's wrap it up here with 2 Thessalonians. Would you stand with me? 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. I'm going to pray through this passage as we conclude our time together. God, thank you for the opportunity and place to gather. Your provision that has enabled us to worship by way of music, to fellowship as an act of worship, to receive your word even as an act of worship, an expression of faith. And so, God, I would pray that you would continue to teach us Jesus, that you, you would lead us. Oh God, our our Father, thank you for the triunity of the Godhead. Thank you that you lead us. You've shown that you love us. You've given us everlasting comfort, consolation, and good hope. Not because we deserved it, but out of unmerited favor, grace, you've given us this life. And we would ask you, Lord, to continue to comfort us. You know our concern. Continue to establish us in every good word and work for your glory and our joy. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. We sing this song to you. God bless you. Thank you for joining.